It is Monday, January 6, 2020, and coming up following their loss on Saturday to the Titans, have we seen the last of the Patriots dynasty? Also, California has enacted new data laws. What that means for you coming up in 2020. All that and more coming up. This is The Tune-Up. Welcome on into the show. My name is Denny Gallagher, and I am joined by the snare campaign provocateur, the maestro of spice and everything nice. It's Benny Horowitz. What's up, dude? Did you talk to my wife? Did she tell you I can cook? A no, bit? but I uh, no, but I've, I've 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 seen the reaction to your John Frusciante takes. Oh, hot, <laughs> hot, hot takes. Chili pepper hot. <laughs> That's what we call a tease coming up in the mailbag <laughs> section. But what's up, dude? How was your New Year's? It's beautiful, low key. My wife had big plans for us to go out in the city, oh, dress yeah. up, do the whole thing. And then about two days before, the plans got canceled. <laughs> and I secretly went, yes. <laughs> because, you know, I'm an anxiety-ridden weirdo and <laughs> environments like that I overthink. And, and I'm like, you know, I went to Times Square once when I was like 19. <laughs> Aren't I done with yeah, like right. doing anything real? So, uh-huh. uh, so we ended up being low-key. Hanging with the kids. Very nice. They still can't stay up late enough, so it doesn't really matter. <laughs> That's about it. What about you, man? I went to Montreal. I, I, s- I saw your social media yeah. posting. <laughs> yeah. Had a couple days off from the old three-letter network, mm-hmm. and we went up there, had some fondue, had some poutine, <laughs> tried our best to speak makeshift French, and yeah, man, it was a good time. Weren't quite dressed for the elements. It snowed the entire time we were there. But you don't pull out the Tims and bada bing, bada boom, we got it done. I love it. It's crazy how Montreal, like people used to go up there to, to like be naughty and like bet on sports and go go to the strips, <laughs> drink when they were like under 21. I feel like uh, the loosening of the laws here has made Montreal a little less, right. a little less uh, of, a, of a deviant destination. Well, a, so a guy that I worked with when I was in milwaukee he was the president of the baseball writers association okay and he was like that was the favorite stop when the expos were up there for all of the writers because you could just go go wild now unfortunately you go in the red light district and it's a kids gap and where the girls used to stand in the square windows (laughs) is now mannequins for children's clothing so that's a little weird but you know montreal is a great town well i mean let's maybe maybe flip this on us here maybe having women displaying themselves (laughs) in windows in the downtown of a city was weird oh yeah and having things safe for children (laughs) is normal oh maybe but you know it got it it got a little weird when they still kept the red light in the background but and, and you're trying to Buy a jean jacket for a child, you know? Imagine if Montreal had a basketball team and James Harden came through town. Uh-oh. It would be like Uh-oh. South yeah. Beach, but with cold weather. You got Montreal o- flu. You got an 0 for 14 from 3 coming a <laughs> night later. That's what you got. All right, Benny. Because we can't go from cold takes to hot takes, it is time for our don't fuck this up person or thing of the week. Look at us. Look at us. Huh? Who would have thought? Not me. And the last thing I said to him, I said, look, man. Don't f*** this up for me. Don't fuck it up. Benny, what do you got? Well, today I'm going to go after a whole organization, which is the Associated Press Voters Pool for the top 25 rankings in college. Oh, My Rutgers Scarlet Knights men's basketball team, 11-3, 20-point win at number 22 Hall, win against Wisconsin, win at Nebraska, a 10-point loss at Michigan State, there is no reason the boys, 
I don't want them in the top 25 right now. I want to see them in that little spot in the bottom where others receiving votes. I'm like, at least one or two can give Rutgers a vote right now. Tomorrow night against number 21, Penn State, if they do some damage there and I don't see him, I'm screaming conspiracy. So you're telling me you're going to try to go after the very petty sports writers that vote for this thing that we may or may not in the future try to have on this program. Listen, Denny, you're going to get nowhere <laughs> in this world being a sycophant, my friend. I'm not a sycophant. I just know college basketball writers. And, and you think music critics are petty? College basketball <laughs> writers are a whole different kind of petty. Did I just ruin it for Rutgers? <laughs> oh, man. My don't fuck this up person of the week is Mike McCarthy. And reports on Monday indicated that the former Packers coach is close to signing a new deal to be the head coach of the Dallas Cowboys. But one detail from this <laughs> makes Mike McCarthy my don't fuck this up person of the week. Adam Schefter of ESPN is reporting that new Cowboys head coach Mike McCarthy stayed over Jerry Jones' house on Saturday night per source. What? That same source said once you stay at Jerry's house, he doesn't lose his guy. <laughs> so in essence, the Cowboys coaching search is get out, which is exactly what Mike McCarthy should do. Get out. He was upset in Green Bay that he didn't have more say of roster construction, so what does he do? Go to the one place in the entire league where he has even less say of what his roster is going to be. So Mike McCarthy, don't fuck up your career by going to Dallas. What happened at that creepy Neverland Ranch last night? <laughs> what was going on? Mike McCarthy had to do some some strange things to, to solidify that Which job last worse, night. Which is worse, fraternity hazing or trying to get the Dallas coaching job? I don't know. I'm thinking like that scene in The Golden Child <laughs> right now where he's got to jump the post. Like like he had to do some... Oh, is, but I, is this, have you seen Mike McCarthy lately? He's, he's not jumping <laughs> over any posts. Is this what Mark Cuban needed to do? He had to have DeAndre Jordan sleep at his house for the night? So Doc, so Doc couldn't come over? This is why know. the NBA is more civil. Yeah. The NBA owners just stalk you outside of your house. Right. NFL were, owners have you sleep over. Yeah, they have you sleep over. <laughs> First topic today. Benny, let's keep it on the gridiron. The Patriots lost to the Titans on Wild Card Weekend. Many in the media and on Twitter were calling it the end of the Patriot dynasty. But Tom Brady has indicated it's pretty unlikely he's going to retire. Belichick doesn't appear to be going anywhere. So people were real quick to jump on the dynasty overtrain, but was it warranted, Benny? I mean, the talk is certainly warranted. I mean, this is the conjecture, the speculation. Sure, like like he's technically a free agent. They just lost in a wild card game after that loss to Miami. Obviously, Brady has a not bad, but a diminishing skill set. Like the offense is filled with holes like like if you're gonna sit here and be like no nah, he's definitely coming back he's definitely leaving it means you certainly don't know what you're talking about right i don't think anybody knows but tb himself the one thing making me lean towards right now i'm i'm 70 30 staying and this is because just because he sold his 34 million dollar brookline estate <laughs> The, the, apparently, the price has been gouged, and it's rather affordable now. I don't feel like you get in the market, Denny, right. or something like that. <laughs> um, and, and so far, the only person who really ran their mouth about anything was Tom Brady's dad, who was talking a little shit about, <laughs> about him leaving town or, or the force of the hand for him to leave town. The more I think about it, I think the, uh, the, the 
the Bill Simmons take is the correct take, which is Tom Brady is the most uh, uh, media savvy player potentially in the NFL. And the Patriots have everything to lose if he doesn't come back. They have no quarterback to replace him. They take a $13 million cap hit if he leaves. So why wouldn't he give them the illusion that he's leaving? Is he going to go let Robert Kraft sign a couple big offensive players, bring in some, some things to be like, hey, Tom, we want you to come back. We need you to come back. Because without him next season, I don't see uh, the maintenance of what's happening. There has to be a hit. Mm. Even though it's a great defense, if you're putting a brand-new quarterback, a young quarterback with that offense next season, the best defense in the world is only going to get you so far. Right. So – I think it's in his hands, and I think he's kind of playing the strings right now, and I think he's going to wind up back. Um, I, I Chasing rings in other cities doesn't seem like a, a legitimate path for the fact that the Patriots still have Bill Belichick. They still have one of the best defenses in the NFL, and it's one of those, you know, if he learned anything from his boy Derek Jeter, you know, you want to get your face just in the... <laughs> The side of a, uh, where would they put your face in Boston? I don't know. They have no mountains. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think now I'm leaning towards he stays. He stays. What about you? So, as you said, if Brady is not given the extension by the start of the new league year on March 18th, becomes unrestricted free agent, his deal also bars the Patriots from using the franchise tag on him. Personally, I think this is going to be a defining moment of the Bob Kraft ownership. There is the rise of teams, and there is the maintenance of teams. But what do you do when you try to start the next chapter? A lot mm-hmm. of these great dynasties over the years have fallen off, whether it be the Packers when their original dynasty ended, mm-hmm. the Steelers. So what does Bob Kraft do now? His legacy is cemented. Yeah. The entire legacy of this crew is cemented. Yes. So I think what you do now, if you're Tom Brady, there is a team that is desperate for fans in a warm city, not too far from where you grew up, that may or may not be looking for a quarterback this offseason. I think Tom Brady to the L.A. Chargers makes a lot of sense. Sure, There are a ton of Patriots fans that live in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. and they're in this new arena uh, that's supposed to be beautiful, but it's supposed to be predominantly the Rams' home stadium. Uh, Kroenke built it. They're just tenants there. What better way to get a little buzz in L.A.? Tom Brady in L.A. I think it's got a lot of marketing potential. Is it going to be a way for rings? No. But just look at like Joe Montana with the Chiefs. Brett Favre later in his career when he came to the Jets and mm-hmm. all of that nonsense. Great careers don't end well for the most part. And I think Tom Brady has a chance to ride off into the California sunset. Yeah, I mean, I guess the question with that is... Does going to the Chargers give you more of a legitimate chance to win than staying with the Patriots? Because, I mean, could I see Tom Brady walking into a 2016 Peyton Manning role, you know, throwing ducks on an incredible team and still managing a Super Bowl? Sure. And I think he's in far better playing shape than Manning was towards the end of his career. But that Denver team was great. That defense Chargers not great. Great. And and this Patriots defense has the potential to be great. Yeah, with one of the greatest defensive minds 
yeah. ever. And the other thing you, you got to keep in mind, if you're a Patriots fan, Josh McDaniels, once again, on the head coaching... He's got to go coach the Browns. He's crazy if no. he doesn't. He's an Ohio guy. He's from Ohio. The Browns have this this beautiful... McDaniels has already been in a position not to succeed before. Is he going to do clay. it again? I know, but how is that? That Cleveland job is so enticing. Is it enticing? It is, because... Baker Mayfield, they gave, Odell. Yeah, they gave, you know what they gave this year? They gave like this beautiful team... You know, the, the, like drunk uncle, like the, you know, like like I don't know why they did that. Bobby Monahan's not walking through that door. <laughs> and you know that I think he's got. I think he's going to the Browns. That that's that's what's happening now. You know what I won't miss if it ends. What I won't miss those terrible fucking hoodies, man. <laughs> what is he doing? What is Belichick doing with those hoodies? Why oh, can't you just wait, wear? So you think that Belichick's leaving? Too? No, he's not going anywhere. Okay. No, I hope the hoodies go somewhere though. Why, why do you make a cut in your hoodie like that? <laughs> Wait, you need more room for your for your old man neck? What's it, going on? It is a old guy thing. My dad did that. He cuts he, his hoodies? He like cut like the sleeves, and I didn't understand it. Really? I don't know if, if he was inspired by early Belichick, but oh yeah, my dad was a big cutter of the can, sleeves. Can you explain to me what I altering your hoodies I is about? I mean, <laughs> I've never I think done it in my life. Maybe it gives it a, 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 a little breathability. <laughs> I don't know. If you're if, if if you're bundled up all day in New England, you have this hood. Oh, I don't know. You know, I can understand, Danny. Like, I'm the type of guy. Who through my whole life, I was like, I, I'm like, I don't like fashion. You know what I mean? I want to focus on my creations, focus on the things I'm working on, and let that be a secondary thing. But the longer and longer, like, some eyes go on you, I just couldn't help but, like, sort myself out a little bit. I couldn't bring, like, my cargo pants <laughs> from 2002 into this new era. You know what I mean? I had to make some changes the pants got a little smaller. And now in front of me, we, we, this, we see a a Benny with a beanie, long s- hair. It's a very Brooklyn specimen. vibe from you out here. <laughs> it's like, so you go from not caring to uh, the whole vibe. And maybe maybe that is the personification of Tom Brady to Los Angeles. You mm. go from not caring, it's New England, to the uh, glitz and glam imagine red the carpet. Suits. Imagine the beautiful suits Tom And imagine how much happier Giselle will be living in Manhattan Beach than Brooklyn. I might change my whole perspective just to see what Tom Brady wears next year if he goes there. <laughs> that would be a fashion It's going to be Russell Westbrook-esque. It would. 17 <laughs> weeks of beautiful fashion. Benny, some somber news from the world of hoops this week. Longtime commissioner and commissioner emeritus David Stern passed away this week at the age of 77 after suffering a brain hemorrhage in December. The commissioner leaves a long legacy of furthering the game, both domestically and abroad, inventing the salary cap, pretty much saving the league from itself in the 80s. Benny, how will you remember David Stern and what he did for the NBA? I mean, the first thing that pops into my head with David Stern is, of course, I I was 12 years old when the 92 Dream Team existed, Mm. which meant I was the demographic. You know (laughs) what I mean? And I ate it, hook, line, and sinker, Mm. like everything about that team. I would have bought shirts, posters, cards, like anything involving that team. Doing a little research for this, I had thought that Stern had sort of constructed the fact that pros go back in the Olympics himself. He definitely aided it, but it turned out it was sort of the shadiness of the Russian national teams putting professionals in for years (laughs) that made FIBA sort of force their hand to, to change the rules. 
But that being said, the, the first chance he had to orchestrate this, he turned it into a, you know, a mega situation that you couldn't take your eyes off of. And then they rolled through those Olympics, beating every team by an average of 44 points, which was fun. But I think the, the smartest thing for David Stern was he never saw like a, an end to things. So, so, so when the dream team stopped, it wasn't like, oh, okay, that's over. That was great. It was like, how can we use this to something else? Mm -hmm. And that's when he sort of started branching out into international play where, you know, you're making, you just basically made headlines all around the world. And now you're really going to focus on like growing basketball throughout. And 20, you know, 25 years later, <coughs> excuse me, three of the five top MVP candidates in the NBA mm. right now are Luka Doncic, Pascal Siakam, and Giannis, you know, who are not even from the same place. <laughs> you know, yeah. all th three guys from different parts of the world who are all MVP level players in the NBA currently. And that probably doesn't happen without some of these outreach programs and the things that he did. So I think that could be his most lasting legacy. But then there's so many other things that, that jump out. I mean, the beginning of the WNBA, the uh, way he handled the Magic Johnson situation, which could have been, I mean, imagine if the NFL had the Magic Johnson situation, right. the, you know, the kind of cacophony of errors mm. and cultural yeah. things they would have fucked up doing yeah. that. Um, and I didn't realize he invented the ping pong ball lottery, mm. one of the coolest parts of the NBA. And, and the salad cap. You can't forget about yeah, the salad and, cap. You know, so, so that means the, the 85 Knicks owed him for Patrick <laughs> Ewing single-handedly. <laughs> we can get into that. So everybody can take their little picks. I mean, you have a commissioner for X amount of years. There might be some mistakes. Like, I thought the biggest mistake maybe for me was the, the one-and-done rule and the things that happened as a result. But the one-and-done rule also led to the growing of the G League which is now like a very integral part of the NBA mm. and totally necessary. So from a fan's perspective, I look through his years as commissioner and I really just see good work and positivity and growth and, and a game I love to watch continued to get better and change. And I still love to watch it. And I think a lot of that is uh is due to him and my favorite thing you know there was a lot of remembrance about what he's done but my favorite thing was from the people that knew him and his jousting with reporters yeah david stern was a guy that had wit and if he messed with you that means he liked you which mm. i think is something that you can't do anymore really because there's i'm sure there's all sorts of hr violations that go along with that but david stern was a guy that was working on new sports tech things uh in this past year he was doing a lot with like player health and mm. development and and how to better use like the data and he made a a joke uh, a couple years ago when we talked to him about, about the 1996 draft on NBA radio about how who would have thought that 20 years ago when like the Russians were using all like like body metrics to get mm. their guys fit that the NBA the American product yeah. would be leading the way 20 sure, years later sure. in body and analytics and health and stuff like that so i think that's an element that has affected most of sports that people don't talk about that the nba has really championed sure. for a very long time especially under the david stern watch and you know just a couple other great stories i think one of his biggest mess ups as commissioner was nixing the chris paul trade mm. Stu jackson was also on on our air his uh, deputy commissioner for a very long time yeah, sure. talking about that trade and the reason why they nixed it the NBA was 
owning the team at the time because right. you know the, they couldn't find a sure. good situation for it. So a team needs a a star, and it's like the reason why I nixed it is I can't sell a team if you don't have a superstar or, or promise going forward. And Chris Paul was that superstar mm-hmm. for that moment. So that was just one story about how things weren't always pretty. But I think the biggest thing. The absolute biggest thing that he did is mm-hmm. it, is helping forge this relationship with China. And I know we talked a lot on this podcast about what is the geopolitical relationship. Sure. But he saw this in a time, I mean, this is going back to like the 90s, mm-hmm. when like he w- went to China and was not leaving without a deal. I mean, he stalked the, the, the Global Commission, stood outside until a deal was made and a, a deal was done. And expanding to that population, increasing the popularity over there has made money for all of the athletes that you see today. And it's a big reason why a lot of these players are companies now and these big entities. I mean, LeBron doesn't have Bron pictures if it's not for what David Stern helped create in in the 21st century. And then just... uh, What about Stefan Marbury? Right, exactly. His his, his money and his career ends at 32, 33 years old if he didn't have those opportunities. Exactly. And... I think a lot of his legacy and what he was most proud of is the international thing. Uh, the NBA just starting the African Champions League from yeah. all those clubs there and how it's really a global game. I don't think any other sport in the 20th century, not to mention the 21st, was looking beyond for profit. Sure. And now all of them are because they see what the NBA has. Uh, I mean, you see soccer and you see that... FIFA and all that is what the NBA strives to go toward. And Stern had that vision of getting it out of just the American vernacular and into more than that. And then I think another part of his legacy, the 2010s in the NBA were all defined by the three and the uh, freedom of movement Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. But the move to make hand-checking a thing of the past is a big part of his his legacy as well. The season that they did that, Tracy McGrady was one of the few guys putting up close to 30 points regularly. You get rid of that, and a whole bunch of other guys who weren't doing that started doing it. He opened the door for James Harden to be putting up 50 a night. He opened the door for the Steph Curry, the Golden State Warriors explosion, which has in turn made the game more popular with fans. So all of those things are something that you wouldn't think one person would be able to do, but his handprint will be on the game long after he's gone. I think LeBron put it best. The two most important people for basketball over its entire existence were James Naismith and David Stern. Ah, I could see it. I could see it. Mike D'Antoni's probably got a huge picture of him <laughs> over his fireplace. <laughs> built his whole career. No hand checks. <laughs> All right, Benny, we've reached the halfway point of the podcast, which means it's time for a dollar slice take of the week. We're going to talk about this more in a little bit, but my thought is, you know, we're getting tracked, right? On our computers, our phones, cars, like we're always being tracked. Our data is being tracked and and the things we're being sold are uh, catered to this tracking. So... Why not a self-imposed computer activity virus where, like, at night, for, like, one hour, your computer just does a hundred random searches on Google or, like, a hundred random searches on Amazon just to toss the bots off 
So they have no idea what you actually like. And if everybody does this, then the whole system doesn't work anymore. They don't even know what we like. I want to overload the computer's information so they don't even know anymore. Okay. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I just don't think that that will work. I think because the I think we have like a algorithms that can tell. Oh, was there a a keystroke or or was this self imposed? So I'm not sure that that's gonna work. But I like where you're going with it. <laughs> For my dollar slice take of the week this week, I want to address the issue of radio, a, a a a medium that I kind of know, but I. Th- and this was brilliant, okay? Okay. So I'm, I'm driving home from Montreal, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, I have a girlfriend in the car, listen to Top 40. Okay. It's fine. And the interesting thing, all the way from Montreal down to New York, you could, like, 92.3 was, the, in essence, the same station all the way down. So here's my idea, right? Mm-hmm. You take each genre of music and you... You put, in essence, the same radio station mm, mm-hmm. on every channel so that you don't need to flip around the dial because who likes to get static? So that way, you, you don't really get static. It's, it's, it's the same coverage so that if you're on a long road trip, you have the same radio. Not everybody wants to pay for SiriusXM. Not everybody wants to listen to podcasts. So you can have the same radio from Canada straight on down to Mexico. I don't know what you call it, but it, I, I guess it's terrestrial radio, dollar slice take of the week. I, I like it conceptually. Yeah. Like the idea that I could go anywhere in the country, turn to a certain dial, and, and you and know, know what I'm expecting to right. hear. I like that. I quickly go as a musician to who's overseeing the content for every 92.3 throughout America oh, and I, every local feed yeah. to be like, hey, this guy's going a little <laughs> too uh, new metal for us. This is supposed to be classic rock. So there's going to have to be some asshole overseeing this for every type of music throughout the I country. Mean, in essence, exists what? Because there's like five companies that have radio stations. So there's some person that makes that, <laughs> that decision already. So <laughs> the music czar is already there. We're uh, living... No. Danny, we're going the other way. We're going the other way. We're Hopefully. going the other way. We got to cut, cut the man off at the knee, my friend. <laughs> exactly. And that man's knee is now Spotify. Oh, oh man. Yeah, sure is. All right, Benny, we reached the bottom half of the podcast, which means we go to the top of the fold. So starting on January 1st, 2020, California enacted the California Consumer Privacy Law, which means Californians will finally have certain rights over the data that companies like Facebook, Google, and other data collectors collect from them. It's been a big problem in the later part of the last decade where uh, these companies sell your data and they're making millions of dollars. That's how, honestly, how a lot of media companies have made their money. Mm-hmm. Um, while these rights have limits, the very existence of these laws is a victory for consumer privacy because you know, it will introduce uh, changes to data collection that are long overdue. So, Benny, we're in a brand new decade. Where do privacy laws and data agreements go from here? And do you think we'll ever see a day where people can actually sell their own data to make money? Mm, interesting. I don't think this is the end of it by a large margin. I think 
we're kind of in like a brave new world of what's yours, what's theirs, what's public, what's private. I think the uh, massive shift in technology in the last 20 years kind of has a scrambling for what to do, mm. you know, what's culturally appropriate right now, what's okay for people, what's okay for how much businesses and government can get away with in regards to this stuff. So I don't think there's a right and a wrong answer right now. I think it's murky and large and there's a lot to talk about. But specifically for this California law, you know, there's some scary things to learn in the last few years, such as uh, uh, an organization called Copley Advertising using uh, your location to send anti-choice ads for people who are close to <laughs> abortion clinics. Uh, 23andMe sold all those people's DNA information yeah. to the pharmaceutical company GlaxoSmithKline. Uh, the things like Cambridge Analytica did during the election to, you know, tailor wrong information to people who like want this just to get more clicks and more ad revenue. So, so clearly fucking with people to the detriment of culture and society, mm. which has clearly been happening because these things aren't good. Right. Do I think this law is the answer to that? No, I don't. When I look at this, it's going to create essentially $55 billion in new costs for these companies to concede to the new law. But I have a feeling this law is only going to create the things that we already do, which is like when a new Apple agreement shows up and you see pages and pages and pages of technical and legal speak that almost no normal person can comprehend. And if you can comprehend it, you need to spend the next half of a day reviewing this and making a sound decision on whether you want to keep your Apple iTunes or not. And you're going to keep your fucking Apple iTunes. Almost everybody yeah. does. They click yes without even looking and they move on. Um, and I think that is really all this law is creating is creating again that extra step where they're going to create a box. It's going to say we're using your information for this and this and this, but it's going to say it in a in 10,000 words and it's going to say it in, in a super <laughs> legal speak that you're not really going to understand and people are still going to allow it because these companies are savvy enough to do it. So I think this may be leading towards further laws, but the laws can't be the fact that they're just notifying us that they're stealing our information. Like the laws need to be, you're not allowed to steal our fucking information. Mm. That's what these laws need to be if we actually cared. I think this law is as much as it's a good step is kind of throwing like a bucket of water on a wildfire a little. The other thing I don't understand is California through my whole life has been almost leading the way in any new liberal policy normally. Mm. The thing that's confusing to me is why this is deemed liberal policy. Like from my understanding, conservatives and Republicans and people from these states, one of the things they've always wanted to uphold is personal independence and personal responsibility. And I don't understand that the party of that is often so in lockstep with like their corporate overlords. You know what I mean? Mm. Being like, hey, this is what they're telling me is okay. So I'm going to give up the information to these people that I deem okay. I think everybody really needs to see who's running things. It's not a political issue. It's a, it's a people versus power issue. And I think people need to look at it as such. You know, poor people from any state 
normal people from any state who are just trying to, you know, use their fucking email, check their fantasy sports, <laughs> buy something, uh, you know, buy some diapers from Amazon or some shit. Like, those people don't deserve to have their lives ripped apart in, in a cyber environment. And I think that's what needs to happen. To get it there, I don't fucking know. <laughs> but Well, I think one of the most important things that comes out of this is it now gives California consumers the ability to request that their data be deleted from a given company. Like, you mm. can do that now, which always okay. kind of seems, like you said, like something that you should have been able to do from the jump sure. because it's your device, it's your everything. But I really think if there is a way where only you have access to your data, and if, say, times are tough, you could sell your data a lot like, you know, like selling like a kidney or, or like yeah, something yeah, yeah. like sure. that to maybe pay some bills and ha have some extra take-home pay. Yeah. I think that that would be transformative for the U.S. economy. But I don't think that these companies and the government would let that, which brings me to my second point with mm -hmm. this whole thing. I think this decade, and with things like this, I think it's more imperative than ever to elect leaders that at least have a general understanding of this. I'm not saying that they were CEOs in tech, but mm. understanding the data business and personal privacy has never been more important. So if you have a leader that can't even send an email or that has no <laughs> clue of that, what right. good is that going to do to protect the American yeah, yeah, people sure. against foreign interferences yeah, in like, any of this? It's like watching my father use a cell phone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know that we always like to dive into the music with you on the tune-up. I like music. And yeah, you know, yeah. I would hope so. Yeah, I it's, dig it. It's been quite good to you. I dig music. <laughs> That's the audiogram for this week, ladies and gentlemen. 5,000 views. A guy that has come up quite a bit on this podcast is Kanye West. Yeah. Well, news came out uh, during our break. He needs more clicks. Yeah, yeah. Let's yeah. give them to him. Yeah. Kanye needs more clicks. He needs, <laughs> needs more revenue. But apparently, the early title for his 2013 project, Yeezus was thank god for drugs <laughs> now benny i'm interested in this but i want to make this a more macro conversation like we always try to do here take me inside the process of coming up with a name for an album and what different marketing strategies benny horowitz the marketing <laughs> yeah, expert marketing over strategy. here no no but just take me inside what goes into a name of, of of an album and how you can go from a first draft to your final draft like he did here Sure. I mean, I think a lot of times the process sort of starts to dictate the name. You know what I mean? Mm. It's like a song stands out, a concept stands out, something stands out that you start to you start to lean towards it before you make your final decision and something starts to feel right. Uh, the interesting thing on like a Kanye level is I wonder how many uh, people are in the pot, you know, and like... Um, if he's just making these decisions cold or if it's teams coming up with things, if it's, I have this idea for a title and then they mock a cover and then they show it to a boardroom. And like, I, on a certain level, I also don't know how the fuck these things operate. Mm. Um, when I heard about this story, I mean, as much as thank God for drugs would have probably made me appreciate Kanye <laughs> more when he put that record out. And I think would have made a fairly funny statement and stuff like Yeezus is now one of the most like, iconic right. kind of musical things that came out. And I think the funny thing about this is it's always, 
he does a record like that and it sucks it's a terrible name you know what i mean and he does a record like that and it's good it's all of a sudden iconic and it's footwear and it's like any (laughs) any number of things that happened after it and just think of like not just band names but even like or it's not album names band names like think of green day uh rem ll cool j uh pearl jam the beastie boy these are all fucking awful names if those bands aren't good Mm. you know what i mean bands who are made fun of those names and all those things so that's where in the end uh if the thing is great it doesn't matter kind of Mm. um the the part where it really matters and to me and also the reason it's different in between kanye deciding and me is that i find it really strong in a band situation for the lyricist to have a lot of say in the name of the album. I like albums to be thematic. I like them to feel a certain way. I like them to capture a certain moment. And I think that name should be derivative of that. And the person who's sort of setting the tone the most for that theme or concept is more often than not the songwriter or lyricist. So that's something that's really important to me. Like if I had a name that I thought was great and let's just say Brian didn't, I don't want to use that name because there's an understanding of the concept that like, I want it to stay consistent and I want it to stay authentic in that way. So I think, um, I think Yeezus made a good choice, but I, you know, we even did the same thing. Like a young punk band names a record, the 59 sound, you know, that shit better be good or you're going to be fucking clown shoe you know what i mean you're gonna be like what 59 what you're just like some standard fucking punk band you're not even doing anything interesting like why are you even naming it that like you better if you're gonna choose one of those names you better be like really going for it and and have some legitimate movement behind it or else you know you'll fall flat um so i think in this uh in this this time kanye made a good move but naming albums is like one of those huge things that can that can uh, keep people for weeks, months, and sometimes really insane things uh, start to determine what you name your album. I mean, you start to mess around with art, and you start to mess around with the aesthetic of the record. You could even be like, oh, this kind of looks like this now. This kind of looks like that. So I think different people have different processes on how to get there, and uh, it's one of those bizarre, arbitrary things that, like, you do have to make the right choice, but about a hundred things need to fall into place for records and songs to be successful. And I've seen bands sit around really killing themselves over this stuff. And to a point you should, but you should also make sure that your music is good and then it probably won't matter that much. All right, Benny, we're running out of room on the podcast, which means something different this week. We're going to open up the mailbag, the tune-up mailbag. I love it. You've got mail. All right, Benny, our first email comes to us from Karsten. What's up, bud? How's it going today? Hi. (laughs) He says, Benny, I have to disagree with your annoyance at John, quote, being able to join whenever he wants. This is in reference to my comments on John Frusciante. Yes. Which Benny just spews out the gold each and every week. That's why he's the maestro of spice. You reference the SNL skit and proceed to say that the rest of the band is responsible parents of the family and John is the stepbrother. However, at the time, the rest of the band 
was just as fucked up as John, just searching for fame instead. I do not believe you have enough background knowledge of the Peppers to speak strongly about them, as their reunion is more than just them being able to, quote, hear good music, as you say. I love how he quoted you and then said, as you say. Anyway, (laughs) they have quite the long friendship with him that stretches over 30 years. You notice the chemistry between all the members during the improvs. With John, it is nothing like any other guitarist they have had, and that is not because of his skill level alone. John's selfishness back in the day for wanting to quit because of fame is a reason to be annoyed. He returns now, I believe, signifies a readiness to make music with his old band. Nothing for fame or money. If you want interviews with him, he consistently speaks about changing his style and not remaining the same style of music for too long. He needed a break, and I think that break is done. Well, thank you very much for the mail. Benny, your thoughts. Well, listen, there's one thing you're right about. It's true. I don't know enough about the Chili Peppers to make a statement like that. I watched about 90 seconds of a YouTube and came up with my whole take. That's what happened. But there's something that Karsten doesn't understand because Karsten's never been in a traveling professional band. So the point I was making was that the remaining members of the Chili Peppers had to maintain a level of uh, responsibility and work ethic to stay as popular as they were and to be stay a successful band. And the thing that Carson doesn't understand is that if a band is doing those things, there is at least one and normally more members of the band who are dealing with any types of daily bullshit to keep it going. It's still work, man. There's still a lot to think about. You're running the Chili Peppers. You got a lot of people working under you. You have a lot of people working for you. You have a lot of people counting on your music you have a lot of elements of responsibility and decision making that is not like you just pop in and out of it somebody is doing this consistently and all the time so i think you're coming from an artistic perspective on this what he can bring when he feels like bringing it and when he's ready to bring it and everybody's feeling good and i'm glad that they're back on a level that everybody is happy and joining and i'm sure the chili peppers are going to make beautiful music for it And I hope they do. I truly do. I think John Frusciante is an incredible guitar player, an incredible artist. He's almost borderline visionary for some of the stuff he comes up with. And that was the point I was making all along, is like, you can't act like him unless you're that good. So I do respect Karsten and your opinion and uh, the fact that I do not know enough about the ins and outs of the Chili Peppers (laughs) to make a well-informed judgment on their career choices. But I do also want you to understand where I was coming from and the fact that I've seen a lot of people pop in and out of this business and what it takes to be successful. And they did something that he didn't do, and he got to reap the benefits from it. That's the only point I was making, and I hope that clears it up a little bit. And to be mad about a double standard is ridiculous. I mean... Not to bring this back to sports, but Kawhi Leonard can take games off and rest because the team can win a, a championship. A guy on, on a two-way deal can't. No. John Frusciante, yeah. peak, peak of his powers. Kawhi Leonard-ish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that is, I hope, what people aggregate. If people aggregate this podcast, they're like, Benny Horowitz, John Frusciante is Kawhi Leonard-ish. They would love that shit. But also, I want... I want more emails. Yes. I never imagined that I'm always right. <laughs> Everything about 
what I'm trying to do in this arena is to, to make people think and make people talk. And I would like to learn something and I'd like to become a better person for it. So if, if I say something stupid, uh, if I say something out of turn, I'm more than willing to hear some shit about it and I'm more than willing to talk about it. So please keep some mail coming. And you can email us at podcast at gmail.com and we'll read tweets too you can tweet at benny at benny horowitz one number one in your mind number one in your hearts number one on twitter i'm at denny gallagher and collectively we are at the tune up hq on twitter on instagram your one-stop shop for all of that stuff but yeah send them on in we're gonna keep doing this uh we want to hear from you so thank you karsten first mailbag off to a smashing start benny you got anything else Just everybody have a great new year and everybody love everybody. Happy 2020. This has been The Tune-Up.